0: So thank you as a, as a church and as individuals that support RUF with your prayers and your finances, we're, we're grateful for it. So this morning, we are looking at John chapter 2, and we're going to be reading John 2, 1 through 11. And so if you'll stand as we read God's Word. This is John 2, 1 through 11. for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. The word of the Lord. that you can be seated. And let me pray for us as we begin to look further into god's word heavenly father we pray again because we need you that you by your holy spirit would would teach us this this word that you would open it up to us that you would illuminate it so that we might understand so that we might believe we pray that you would that you would do good to us in that way even now and we ask it in Jesus' name amen All right, as we begin, I want you to think about, can I move this? Is that going to mess up? Nobody's answering. Can I move that? Okay. I want you to think about, as we begin, the best party that you've ever been to. I want you to kind of take yourself back there. The best party that you've ever been to in your whole life. And I've been, I've been to some pretty good parties, and it came down to two And I'm going to go with the one that was not from 11th grade when my friend's parents were out of town just for obvious reasons. (laughs) But one of my, uh, the number one party that I've ever been to uh, that sort of stands above the rest, uh, it was basically the weekend of parties that surrounded one of my, a good friend of mine's wedding. You know, the rehearsal dinner, the wedding day brunch, the reception, the whole bit. Um, And it was was incredible. It was just, it was amazing. Uh, We got to... Uh, There were, I guess, just to put it bluntly, there were some famous people there. There was a famous actress. Uh, There were a couple of CEOs of of some of the biggest corporations in the country. Um, There were the best food. We had great music. Uh, Tons of my friends were there. It was just a lot of fun. Uh, We also drank uh, same day beer which is beer that was made on that day, which is apparently, in the beer world, a big deal. And I can tell you that it tastes exactly like beer. <laughs> but we had the best of everything. Had the best the best food, best drink, all those sorts of things. And as you think about the best party you've ever been to, I want you to think about why you enjoyed it so much. It's because... I would assume it's because you have those things. Your friends are there. It's a time where you you put your cares down and you just have fun. It's a time when, I think you could sum it up like this, it's a time when you just feel alive. And the reason that we enjoy that so much is because really that's what you and I are built for. We're built for that. We're built to experience life. We're, we're built to... We're built to enjoy the party, so to speak. And that really is what this passage is about. It tells us that, that really Jesus has come to bring the party of the kingdom of God. So this, this passage tells us about Jesus' first miracle. Uh, he did about, at least recorded in the Gospels, about 35 miracles. And John picks out seven of them, and he refers to them as signs. He refers to them as, as signs so that, to, to highlight the fact that what Jesus is doing in these miracles is not just some sort of flashy display to show that he's amazing, right? But it's more than that. It's actually a, it's a sign of something else. It's a pointer to who Jesus is and what he's come to do. It's a pointer to a deeper, bigger spiritual reality, And that's what's going on even even here in this passage as he turns water into wine. It's ultimately pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's the one, he's the hero like we've talked about in sermons past. He's the one that's come from God to save his people and to bring the, the richness, the reality, the fullness of the kingdom of God. And so in this passage, we see that Jesus is the Messiah that's come to bring the party, and I want to look at that in three ways. Basically, we're going to look at three, three switches that happen in this passage. Three things that switch places, so to speak. And the first, so switch number one. This first switch really, I guess you could say, shows us what this party's all about. What the kingdom of God, the reason for the party, I guess, the celebration. All right, so let's rehearse the story real quick. So Jesus and his disciples get invited to this wedding. And his mother's there also. And so they go. And so at some point during the party, during the the wedding, which could last up to a week long, the wine runs out. And so now, we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but weddings were a much bigger, as big of a deal as weddings are now, they were a bigger deal then. And for the wine to run out was a big problem. So basically, this party is about to just nosedive. Right, the record has just scratched, and things are about to get seriously awkward. And so Mary goes to Jesus, and she says, they have no wine. And look, we could take a few minutes to talk about Jesus addressing his, his mother as his woman. And if you're worried about that, I'll just say this, two things. Number one, the text. Nobody in the story seems to be worried about it, so we probably don't need to be. And it's probably it seems to be basically the equivalent of ma'am. So I just want to throw that out there, if you're, if you're upset about that. So Jesus responds to his mother, and he says, what does that have to do with me? My hour's not yet come. And she looks at the servants and said, it's almost like you could see her winking at them, and said, just do what he tells you to do. And so Jesus tells them to take those six stone water jars and fill them up, and then draw some out and take it to the master of the feast, and that's when we see the first switch, which is, I think, the most obvious one, is that the water had become wine, that Jesus switches this water into wine. And there are a couple of things at work here that I want to look at, three things really under this, under this heading. And first, I want, I want you to recognize the fact that Jesus made wine is a big deal. Right, It's no accident that he's chosen this venue to do this. It's no accident, this is all orchestrated by him, that he is, that he is making wine. So why would he do that? Well, in the Old Testament, wine is often used in connection with, with God talking about the one day, someday that he was going to send his Messiah. When he was going to bring blessing, dump blessing onto his people, he very often uses wine and the abundance of wine as an image of that of the you get the idea of the fruitfulness of the of the richness of what he's going to do the blessing that he's going to bring if you're a note taker Isaiah 25 Jeremiah 31 Hosea 14 Joel 3 so Jesus is showing just by by the very fact that he turns water into wine it's this he's showing that he is the one that God has promised He's showing that, 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 that the Messiah, the blessing that God has talked about providing, is coming true, and it's coming true in him. And really that not only is God sending someone, but, but God has come himself, right? Not only does he bring the wine, but he has created it. So secondly, the amount of wine that Jesus makes is noteworthy. So these six jars says that they held 20 to 30 gallons each. So I did the math. That's anywhere from 600 to 900 bottles of wine, like that we consider a bottle that you go by. 600 to 900 bottles of wine, right? That's a lot of wine. No matter who you are, what your party's like, I think that would qualify as abundant, right? And so he has to be making a point. In fact, it might even be actually that it's not so much the water in the jars that turn to wine, because the word that's that used there for draw more, basically everywhere else in the New Testament, it's draw out of a well. So really what might be going on here is that Jesus has draw the six jars of water, and then he uses that word of draw some more from the well, and that water has turned to wine. So it's either that he's made these hundreds and hundreds of bottles worth of wine, or He turned the whole well into wine. So either way, you get the idea. It's this almost infinite supply of blessing, right? He brings, you get the picture that Jesus has come to bring blessing, and he's come to bring it in mind-blowing proportions. He's come to, to dump blessing onto his people. But thirdly, let's talk about those jars, the text says that they were, quote, there for the Jewish rites of purification. They were, they were used for holding water, which was symbolically used to, to cleanse people of their sins, right, as they went to worship in the, in, the, uh, in the temple. The Jewish rites of purification from the Old Testament. So that's what these things were used for. All right, so so what? Well, John tells us what they're used for and that means what they're not used for, right? Which is drinking out of. In other words, probably to you and I, it sounds normal, right? You've heard the story. Of course, he, you know, he chose those jars, Jewish rites of purification. But it would have been strange then. Because that's not what they were for. They weren't water jars that you drank out of. But Jesus chose those on purpose. He chose the jars that were all about cleansing. The Old Testament forgiveness of sin, so to speak. He chooses those, and that's what he turns into, the symbol of the blessing that he is bringing. And did you notice how full it was, right? That's no accident either. Jesus has it filled up to the brim, that it's as full as it can possibly be. So you get the point that Jesus is, is showing that he's come, to, he's come to fill up to the fullest the righteousness that God requires of us. Right? He takes this Old Testament symbol and all that it, it implies and symbolizes, and he's showing that I've come to fill that up myself to the fullest and to bring you blessing right there where you need it. that he's come to bring righteousness, forgiveness, cleansing, and he's come to bring it to the fullness. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means now that it means now that our relationship with God is not based on our performance. That it really to have a relationship with God, to meet the requirements that he requires of us, which is perfection, that it happens entirely by grace. That he's come to bring great blessing. And that blessing, at least in in large part, is that he's come to make us clean. He's come to forgive us. And he does it for free. Right, so that's the reason for the party. There's reason to celebrate. Because the the sins that I have that plague me, The, the ways in which we all feel and are unworthy, the guilt and the shame that we feel has been done away with. That Jesus comes and he's showing us just in this sort of faint picture here. I've come to bless you in abundance right there to bring you cleansing so that when you come to church, if you're like me, and you kind of have that review session in your mind of your week or your last night or the ride to church, and you think, You think that basically as you walk in, God's gonna look and say, oh, really? So you're coming to church now. But I know what you really did. That right there, you can find cleansing. You can find the righteousness of Christ. Like John says earlier in John 1, 16 and 17, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So we see the first switch, that Jesus changes water into wine. So let's take a look at the second switch. The second switch really shows us the quality of the richness, the fullness of the party that Jesus brings. It shows us how good, how good it is. And we see it in verse 10. The master of the feast tastes this wine... And he calls, <clears throat> he calls the bridegroom over and he says to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. All right, so you see what he's saying, right? That the way most people do it is they bring out the good stuff first when everybody, uh, you know, when the party's starting, everybody's just getting there. Everybody's senses are, are as sharp as they're going to be for the week. And they bring out the good stuff, so they taste it, and they say, wow, this is really good stuff, you know, so therefore, these are really good people, right? Try to impress folks. And then, as that begins to run out, people have had, had a little bit of wine, they're having fun, their senses are dulled a little bit, then you bring out the, you know, the not as good stuff, and people aren't going to really know the difference. But the master of the feast has noticed that this wine has actually gotten a lot better, that it seems to be switched. But think about it, right? This party has not gone as planned for the groom, to say the least, right? What, what the master of the feast doesn't know is that the groom did bring out his good wine, right? He did like everybody else does. He brought out the good wine, the good stuff, and he ran through it. And so what that means is that the stuff that Jesus has made is far better than the groom's good stuff. The the wine that Jesus, Jesus doesn't just make wine, which is amazing. He makes the best wine. He makes wine that's so good, it makes the the groom's best wine look silly, look like the bad stuff that other people serve at the end. And so we've already mentioned that, you know, it's no accident that that Jesus chooses a party to perform his first sign. And this helps us to understand a little bit about what Jesus has come to do. That that he's come to bring, that the life, the party, so to speak, that he's come to bring is full of joy. It's full of excitement. It's rich. It's full. Because he doesn't just save this party from dying out, which would have been very gracious, but he takes this party to new heights. He doesn't just put it back where it was. He makes it take off. And really what it's showing us is that what Jesus provides for his people is the best. It's the best. The year, I'll give you an illustration. The year after, I think it was the year after I graduated from college. I can't tell the school anymore. So in Mississippi and Kentucky, this you know, I'd tell the school and nobody would really worry about it. But it's a Texas school, so... I don't want to hear about it after the sermon, so I'm not going to tell the school, but Amy's brother went to work uh, as an intern in Texas, and so I went to visit him, and we, he took me to a football game of the local college there, big university, and we went to a tailgate. And so we went to a tailgate, and basically I paid like $3, and I got a George Foreman burger, and some baked beans, and some Lay's chips, and a Coke. And as we're standing there, you know, tailgating, one of his friends comes up to me, the guy that's sort of hosting this, and he comes up, and he's excited about it, and he says, pretty great tailgate, huh? And I lied to him, and said yes. And if you don't, if if you're not getting this illustration already, then, then you're one of these people, but... And so he, we chat for a second, he walks off, and Amy's brother says, without us discussing anything, he says, man, thanks for doing that, because he gets it. Now, why does he get it? Because he and I, and Amy, we went to Ole Miss, we went to Ole Miss, which is not known for a lot of stuff, not a lot of good stuff, but one thing it's known for, and most known for, is its social scene, right? That's what's king at Ole Miss, Uh, the the unofficial and maybe official motto of Ole Miss is we may not win every game, but we've never lost a party. (laughs) All right, and the pinnacle, the pinnacle of the social scene in Oxford is what we call the grove. And the grove is exactly that, a grove of trees, grass and trees in the middle of campus where everybody tailgates during game day. So 50,000 plus people Packing, they'll be, there might even be that many people during the game in the Grove. And look, it's unbelievable. So you have thousands of people walking around, most of them in their Sunday best, tents everywhere, tents that are outfitted, no kidding, chandeliers, direct TV hookups, so you can watch the game because it's better to watch it there than in the stadium the best food you can find, the best drink, it's all free, everybody shares, you just walk around, take what you want, it just is free. You got a lot of, uh, you know, everyone's really polite, just a lot of syrupy sweetness, at least on the surface, right? (laughs) It is amazing. And it's like, it's like I wanted to be able to take that guy and say, I know that you think this is great, but I want to show you a real tailgate, right? You want to take him and say, look, this is fine, but this is the real thing. This is what it's supposed to look like. And that, as potentially silly of an illustration as it is, That's a little bit like what Jesus is doing here, right? He comes and he brings a taste of what real life, he brings a taste of of the fullness of the kingdom of God, right? He he basically says, look, I've come to bring, I've come to bring a, a richness and a depth to life like you've never dreamed of, right? You're, 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 the height of your imagination is the $3 George Foreman thing. I've come to bring something that, that would blow your mind. So, what does that mean for us? A few applications. One, I think it specifically points to the quality of the righteousness that Jesus brings to his people, right? The very, the, the very blessing that he provides, right? Symbolized by the wine. So, what, what that means is that Jesus. That the righteousness that Jesus gives us is not just okay it 's not just good it 's the very righteousness of the sinless Son of God himself, so that it, that if you 're a believer, God doesn 't just look at you and say like eh, okay he doesn 't just look at you and 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 tolerate you, but he looks at you and he treats you as if you have what you do because he 's credited to you. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, who was so righteous that when he touched people, it healed them. Right? It means that you don't just get forgiven and brought to neutral. But that in the eyes of God, you are perfect. He doesn't just look over your sin. He's thrilled with how righteous you are in Jesus second thing I think that it points to is the, is the quality of life in the kingdom. And that ultimately is the one day, someday, in the fullness of the kingdom in heaven. Right? It gives us just this little taste of what life will be like. Because right now, let's be honest, and we're going to talk about this in just a second. You, you might even be offended that I'm talking about life in the kingdom as a party. Right? Come see my life. Not, not a whole lot of party. And I get that but this gives us a little taste of what it will be like one day in the new heavens and the new earth, where, there, where it will just be pleasure, where there will be no more fear, no more death, no more sadness, no more pain, no more crying, no more evil, no more desire to sin, no more bad stuff. It'll be the fullness, the richness of the kingdom But we also do get a sense, we get at least a taste of that in this life. And again, not that, not that coming to Jesus and being a Christian means that life's a big party. Come join. Because it's, it's not. It's filled with sorrow, like our Savior. It's filled with difficulty. But at the same time, there is an undercurrent or a base level of richness there that's unparalleled right? That the kingdom of God, life in the kingdom, even here in this this sinful, sin-filled earth and in our sinful bodies, there's a sense in which the life he brings has a richness that no other can offer. It has a depth. To, to, To be in right relationship with God. To know that he looks at you and smiles. To know that your life Actually matters right it it brings a richness and a depth to life to know that you matter all right so thirdly, we've seen the first two switches let's look at our third switch. The third switch shows us a little bit about uh, so to speak, how we get into this party and look at the end of the sermon if you as you get home and reflect and you start. You might start to think, I think all those three switches really were kind of the same thing. Yes, but you've got to have three points or they don't pay you. <laughs> so the third switch the third switch we need to look at, is it's a little bit more subtle, but it's, I think it's very real. So like we said, weddings are a big deal nowadays, and they were far bigger then. You know, they would go for a week, uh, possibly even more. Uh, people would save their whole lives to be able to, I guess that's still potentially true, save your whole life to pay for it. But it was, it was the groom's responsibility to pay for the, the wedding, the party. So it's the groom's responsibility to pay for the wine. And so to run out of wine is a huge embarrassment. Big time social faux pas, right? There, apparently, from what I read, there was even, on occasion, legal action brought against grooms that ran out of wine. So, like, you know, how would you like to start out marriage that way, right? Like, Sorry, sweetheart. <laughs> the whole village hates us. So this is a big deal. So this, this man's, it's not just his party that's on the line, but it's his whole reputation. And, and in some ways, you know, his, his marriage. Not really, but you get the idea. So where's the switch? Well, it's in the second half of verse 10, which we've already looked at. The, the master of the feast looks at the bridegroom the groom, and he says, but you have kept the good wine until now, right, so you see what he's saying, you did this, everybody at the party, everybody probably walked away from that party thinking, that's the best one we've ever been to, that was unbelievable, that wine that he brought was amazing, you see, he he gets the credit for this, and what did the groom do? Now, it might be tempting, you know, at first, sort of first blush to say nothing, but that's not true. The groom did do something, right? He ran out of wine. That's what he did. He's the one that's, in a sense, caused this problem. And Jesus is the one that throws this unbelievable party, and yet this guy gets the credit for it. This guy screws it up. Jesus fixes it. And this guy gets the credit for being the, for throwing the greatest party their village has ever seen. His reputation is not just didn't run out of wine. His reputation is, is elevated, right? He's the greatest. And I think here, early on, we're getting a, a little hint of how Jesus brings people into his kingdom. And he does it by switching places with us. He does it by giving us the credit for the things that he's earned and by taking the punishment for what we've earned, which is death. Because ultimately, that's where John's gospel's heading, right? It's heading to the cross. And that's the beauty of this for, for all of us. It's heading to the cross. That Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life, perfectly obeying God, and he did it so that he could take that righteousness that he earned earned before God and credit it to you and me. And then he takes the sin and the death that we've earned, and he takes it on himself, and he bears the wrath of God that that deserves. And he does it in our place. He switches places. And so there on the cross, the sinless son of God is treated as a sinner. And he bears the full wrath of God. Right, think about the fact that that Jesus, this is awesome. Think about the fact that Jesus, who made 900 bottles of wine, just by saying it, that he goes to the cross and he hangs on the cross and one of the things he says is what? I thirst. Think about that. That the Jesus who can make wine flow like a river goes to a cross And is in one sense dying of thirst. Why? Because he's taken your place. He's taken your place. Because the cross is the great switch. And we get the good stuff for free so to speak. And let me end with this thought. Why does he do that? Why would Jesus come and switch places with us? Because he didn't have to. And the answer is very simply, yet beautifully, is because he loves you. He comes and switches places with you, with me, and offers to switch places with you. If you're not, if you're, if you're here and you're not a believer, he offers this to you because he loves you. Now, how do I know that? Do I know that just because that's what preachers say? No. Because this is not Jesus' last wedding. This is not the last wedding that John talks about. You see, John really almost bookends everything that he writes about Jesus with weddings. We see the first one here in John, what, John 2. He writes John's gospel, but he also is the author of Revelation. And at the very end of Revelation, John tells us about another wedding. Revelation 19, 6 through 7 ish says, "Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready." You see, the second wedding that Jesus that we hear about Jesus going to is His wedding, and He's the groom, and who's the bride? The bride is you. That Jesus weds himself to you because he loves you. So John says that he writes his gospel so that we would believe. And Jesus has brought the party, the fullness of the kingdom of God. And that's an invitation to us all. Won't you believe? Won't you come? Let me pray for us.